0: Welcome to Getting Apps Done, a mostly non-technical podcast with the goal of helping you deliver software with your hosts, Joshua Graham and Kel Piffner.
1: I don't want a cup of coffee now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little caffeinated today.
0: I uh, can't do that anymore. Two is my limit, and two, I mm. uh, generally get to the end of the day and I'm thinking, uh, I kind of regret that.
1: I don't regret it until it's time to go to sleep. And then it's like, why am I still awake? Oh, right. You
0: know, I I used to drink coffee from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, and it never bothered me at all. But I have noticed (laughs) that now if I drink anything after about 7 p.m., I go lay down, the clocks are ticking really loud, and I just can't sleep at all.
1: It's strange to me because it doesn't really feel like I'm caffeinated or anything. It's just, oh, yeah, it's it's like 7 o'clock. It's too early to go to bed. And then you look at the time. Oh, no, it's midnight. Oh, well.
0: I, yeah, certainly <laughs> in my early 20s, if I drank a lot of coffee and I got to the point that I had jitters and things like that, then, okay, yeah, it might keep me up. <laughs> but you knew it was going to happen because you're sitting there like, <laughs> you're foaming at the mouth and, you know, you kind of got a lot of going on in there. Yeah, but... No, it's no. I've had one cup of
1: coffee this evening at all, and I'm up. <laughs> yeah, mine's more just. I'm up. It's like I'm awake. I I slept too long. I didn't wake up till noon. Like I'm up. It's time to do something else. Apparently, so yeah, yeah. I do have to cut back a little bit, which yeah. I totally failed to do at the school. At the school. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, we're kind of welcoming
0: Kel back today because you've been teaching at a boot camp. You're a better person than I am. You're actually teaching and educating people and helping them become better at what they want to do. I uh, can't say the same.
1: So I learned a new word, uh, praxis, which means practice, which I, I kind of appreciate because it is practicing the things that you know in the abstract. So we talk a lot about teaching. We talk a lot about, you know, fear and motivation in those scenarios. And I wanted to actually practice that in reality. And so, yeah, I went and I went and did the bootcamp thing for three months, somewhere around there. I don't know, is 10 that, week, yeah. yeah, it was 10 weeks of Java, which is exciting. So, terribly, terribly <laughs> exciting. Um, but yeah, these folks had gone through, I forget how many weeks total. It's like 30 or 40, something like that. Maybe 20. I don't really remember. They've gone through uh, three other courses of general web development. And, you know, so it was all JavaScript, HTML, CSS for the most part. And then that last one was starting to get pretty dev stuff. They did things in Node. They did like actual apps that did things. They worked with APIs. You know, things were getting kind of complicated. And then they get to pick whatever languages they wanted to go into after that. You know, JavaScript, um, Python, Java, a few others they offered. Um, but yeah, so I went in and did Java. It was fun for ten weeks and kind of jammed in uh, um, it's, you know, a minor CS degree in within that 10 weeks. That's kind of interesting. I will I will warn
0: you right now, there's a slight spoiler here of next week's episode, where we actually talked to <laughs> a uh, university uh, a professor, as well as the lead of the technical division of the university, who helps design the courses that they do there. Mm-hmm. And one of his arguments against boot camps, he was not anti-boot camp, I won't say that, um, But certainly, obviously, he works for a university. He's got a certain point of view. One of his arguments was that the boot camps are just too short for somebody to learn enough. Mm. And he's quite right because a lot of them are 12-week courses, things like that. And that's just a ludicrously small amount of time to learn (laughs) how to develop software. But you just mentioned that they've been going for 20, 30 weeks. That's a much more approachable amount of time. When you're talking Mm -hmm. closer to a year, that's an amount of time that actually you could probably learn something pretty significant there if it's focused on just developing software.
1: Well, and this this program too had a pretty high commitment rate on time. They were, I think, their program actually said fifty hours a week is expected, which kind of ridiculous from my point of view. That was something I had a lot of talks about uh, with their their you know uh, lead lead instructor people. um, That I'm not a huge fan of that for real work. So I don't know that I want to normalize that as a concept in the development world. Um, But yeah, they were working like fifty hours a week at least to study to practice to learn these things and this particular curriculum was kind of interesting because they were very focused on getting past interviews not just uh, like useful development but like both of those things and so they actually did a lot of uh, a lot of data structures and algorithm work and it was kind of strange in like week one I think we introduced the concept of a linked list and had them build it and they, they created you know those sorts of things and I remember that being like the final for my first programming class in college. So it was very compressed, very high speed, but they definitely were learning a lot of the same concepts. And I mean, to be honest, most folks come out of CS degrees and don't really remember most of it or use most of it. It's useful, they come in with all these things. We've talked about this a million times, but. Yeah. (laughs) why? The key thing there is you've
0: got four years to learn all this stuff, which I think is good. And I think it mm-hmm. is. It can, there can be a lot of benefit to spreading it out, not learning all of your programming in one year, <laughs> but having four yeah. years to experiment, to play around, do things in your side time, and to let things sink in. But you're also taking a lot of courses that have nothing to do with software development. And I know exactly. a lot of people will tell you that you know the math courses and learning derivatives and things like that are going to help.
1: No, you're never going to use them and <laughs> if you do you can probably relearn them as someone one of the you know as someone who's actually had to use real math in programming on several occasions it was not that fancy of math i, I have a notebook that i found in a few years now i was pulling going through old like college coursework and it was like oh wow i made it to calc 3 i have no idea what any of this stuff is i don't remember any of this i have never used it and i probably never will some folks will yeah. and I'm a little odd that I'm a very big proponent. I don't actually like the bootcamp style of de- of instructing. Like, it, Given the option, I would love to teach people from basic principles because I find that to be more educational in the long run, understanding why something works and then also showing them how to use those things. But I know in terms of time constraints, that's a difficult thing to to create a course that teaches you both of those things in 10 weeks so you know can't complain too much about the course i did not in, i'm um, instructing yeah. but a cs course you know teaches you from basic principles to an extent you know they teach you with basic um when i did it it was uh, c plus plus and we had to write our own strings library so i'm very very aware that a string is actually just an array of characters <laughs> um while someone who goes through a boot camp may never you know that might not be a concept that they ever really had to care about so there are things in there that i would like to teach differently there are differences in that i'm not really convinced there's a huge difference in folks that come out though and to be honest most when you hire folks most of the stuff they have to learn is on job anyway and at the junior yeah. level i'm not really convinced there's a huge difference no agreed
0: i I think particularly when you are not talking about somebody who's 18. And in fact when we spoke to avi Flombaum the other week he was specifically saying he doesn't think boot camps are for p- people who are 18. He was specifically mm-hmm. talking about particularly people who are going for a second career. They're changing careers because they have a lot of life experience, they have a lot of business experience because they've been doing something and switching into development. A boot camp is great, it compresses all that information, allows you to. Build up from something that you have already gained experience in into Mm -hmm. and transition into either software development or a different type of software development. He specifically talked about people who had uh, a more legacy background like COBOL programmers who want to transition into more modern technologies. Again, they're... In a position where they don't need to learn a lot of the fundamentals, they don't need to learn a lot of the basics, we don't need to teach them how to live and become human beings and wash their clothes <laughs> and you right. know fill their fridge with food that isn't going to kill them within the next 10, 20 years. Uh, but they do need a transition between the knowledge that they have from whatever they were doing before to the knowledge that's relevant today and would allow them to start to learn those things when they start a new job because you're absolutely right. Most jobs, you're going to come in, they're going to tell you exactly what they want you to learn because they'll have their own stack that's different than most Mm -hmm. other stacks. It's one of the great things and terrible things about technology is (laughs) there are so many different options. Everybody's got a different one. So you're going to have to learn something.
1: Yeah, it was, you you speak of the old, you know, the folks coming from older legacy languages to new ones. I, I ran into more folks that knew Basic at that job <laughs> than I have at any point before. It was kind of great to run into folks whose also their first language was Basic. You know, not Visual Basic, just just Basic. <laughs> basic, Basic. <laughs> there were instructors. There were uh, folks going through the program that had had done programming in the past, and it, you know, it was old, ancient languages that they hadn't used in you know fifteen twenty years. So it was kind of wild there were a few there were a few younger folks but most of the folks I talked to were you know like you said switching careers which was kind of kind of also great so like we compare like university degrees where they have to you know you get the four years it's kind of like going to school you show up to class you pass your homework there's not a lot of like motivation uh throughout the course for most people and that's very different when you are someone like an adult having to go through this program like what am I going to eat next week it's a very different motivation and a very different set of people going through those courses so it was very different than going to a university the students were much more motivated they were much more you know how much can I jam in in these 50 weeks oh no if I don't pass then I just spent all this money and they won't recommend me and that was like a real fear that kind of came out of this so
0: yeah And while you were going through this, you mentioned fear quite a bit. And you mentioned Mm. it at the beginning of this conversation, because (laughs) obviously, as we've mentioned on the podcast quite a few times, there's a lot of fear in a lot of this. Uh, First off, because there's just so much stuff to learn now. Mm -hmm. Second, there's a huge expectation. You were talking about the time expectation that uh, already in business, people just assume that people are going to put in a huge amount of hours, more than they can efficiently put in in a week uh, after, what is it? 30 some odd hours, you become less efficient. So, <laughs> yeah. But we're still expected to put in 40, 50, 60, 70 hours mm-hmm. a week. And there's also the fear of what they're expected to know because, as we just said, there's just so much technology out there, so many different options. And I've heard a lot of new developers talking about how much they think they need to know. And that's mm-hmm. not helped at all by businesses who think they need to know all these things and schools that think they need to know all these things Uh, so fear uh, must be a huge part of what they're going through and what teachers
1: have to try to help them through well and what you just described too is a very like common gatekeeping thing oh you have to know these things or you're not a real dev you you see it all the time and it's Absolutely ridiculous. Like, we taught, so I taught data structures, I taught linked lists and trees and like tree traversals and all of these stupid puzzle games entirely so folks could pass whiteboard interviews. Like, there was no other point to that (laughs) other than the ability to pass a whiteboard interview. And like, that was like the blunt reason. Like, that's what I told the students. Like, I am teaching you this so you can survive shitty gatekeeping, you know, you can survive these terrible gatekeeping interviews. And Blech. yeah well, it's, I, it's awful there it's very fear-driven pretty much every single one uh, of those things you just mentioned
0: i've uh, learned and i've used I, they are valid mm-hmm. things but i learned them when i needed them <laughs>
1: yeah i learned most of them by accident yeah the first I time saying, i ran into a tree try tree forget what it is i built one by accident and was like trying to solve a random problem and a, you know stumble across a, a wiki article on Oh, that's how you traverse this thing faster. That makes sense. Oh, that's exactly what I'm trying to, like, it's, these are things you discover naturally. And it is kind of cool to learn them in advance. Cause I, I did kind of like that, like, especially since it didn't take up that much time in their coursework, like we went through all these data structures in 10 weeks while also learning Java and learning spring and learning Android development. So I kind of appreciated that it was like a little bit of both sides of the development world you know the really really basics and also the useful stuff and you may not use one or the other but yeah the idea that you have to know these things or you're not a real dev is is very much gatekeeping it's very much it's just complete bs (laughs) (laughs) that's not what makes you a dev that does not what makes you productive with some of these things it's also
0: not even just learning the concepts because most of them are quite straightforward i'm figuring mm-hmm. out how a queue works is not a complex concept <laughs> we all know how queuing works i live in exactly. england we really know how queuing works you even use the correct word <laughs> yes we call it queuing uh, but knowing that it's called a queue is an important thing and that mm-hmm. is actually critical in a lot of technology because i've actually walked into places where they asked me do you know how to deal with this and i thought I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they show me, mm. oh, well, I call that this. And they're looking at me like I'm from another planet. Uh, well because there are just a lot of different things going on. And there are legitimately sometimes different names for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or you just don't uh, more often than not, I just don't know the name that they happen to be calling it.
1: <laughs> I well, yeah, that's just what I languages. do every time. Yeah, spe- specializing your language is very it's useful when you're in a group of people who know what you're talking about, it's shorthand, it's it's describing a thing quickly, efficiently. It's a useful thing to have specific words for this stuff. It is also very exclusive. It is a very easy way to confuse folks. It's a way for po- folks to have different de- uh, definitions for the words and cause extra confusion, like use more words for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> basic data structures, sure. I, that seems like a reasonable expectation, though I don't know that I've ever actually needed to know something was a linked list before. Ever. Um, no. I've built a million of them at this point because they're like a naturally emergent data structure. And they're all basically graphs and trees. Uh, as I told my class over and over again, they're all just graphs. Everything's a graph. Um, <laughs> well, speaking
0: but, of message queues, that's another good example of this. <laughs> because actually a message queue and service buses and pub sub are all subtly different. But and people all use all the, the names interchangeably
1: <laughs> and they're all they're kinda, basically the same thing. yeah, the same. yeah, uh, they, the, it's all uh, at the edges and at the edges, well, then you have to use more words anyway. and why did you have to use this fancy exclusionary word? Yeah, but,
0: the pattern itself is the same whether you can pull them at any mm-hmm. order or if they're in a particular order, first come, first serve. but the reality is, People use the name wrong all the time. I mean, we're talking professional people like uh, RabbitMQ is actually not a mm-hmm. mail queue <laughs> or a message queue. It's <laughs> it's a thing, yeah. It's it, Erlang.
1: Uh, yes. You know, this might actually be our most technical uh, podcast thus far. It might be. Uh. We
0: try to be mostly t- non-technical, but we're talking about teaching new developers, and there are a lot of technical things to learn. and. Mm-hmm. I, L- knowing the names of these things and what they are can be really important, particularly for those first few interviews where you don't have a lot of experience. Exactly. You're just shoved in front of a whiteboard and you're told, show me what a uh, message queue looks like versus pub sub. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I don't think I could draw. I know exactly what they are and I'm not sure I could draw it on a whiteboard in the middle of an interview. Uh, that's, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> and that's the one thing that I really liked when you were talking about how much you were, teaching them to do these whiteboard interviews because that's the part that would scare me the most even if i were to go do an interview now a whiteboard would scare the crap out of me i've Mm -hmm. been developing for a long time i should not be afraid of a whiteboard interview but i'm terrified of it because i don't know what words they're going to use and then you know the Mm -hmm. moment they use a word that isn't the same word you use and you don't have any clue what they're talking about oh, uh, this guy's an idiot even if you got 20 years of experience backing (laughs) you up
1: uh, it's just it's I spent a lot of time on, like, questions. Like, oh, what do you mean by that? Like, you should be don't be afraid to show your ignorance. There's nothing you can do about your ignorance. There, if you don't know something, you don't know something, and that when you're in an interview situation, there's no real point in hiding it. Especially if, if someone's not going to hire you based off of ignorance, well, then they're not going to want to hire you anyway. Like, there's there's no reason to fake that. And so, ask the questions. Go out of your way. Ask what these things mean. Ask for examples. Like I spent a lot of time on interviewing because that's like all you can really do is bounce back and forth with your interviewer. Try to figure out what they're getting at regardless of what they presented and then work through it. You know, break it down into chunks, that sort of thing. So that was more or less the strategy I tried to teach, which is uh, kind of a limit on how much you can do in in 10 weeks. And I got to meet by the end. I was really good at whiteboards. Um, I had one of the other instructors interview me when I first started and I just passed though the her comments were kind of entertaining because she kept making notes of going that's the exact opposite of how the problems that you know new developers have um, but they really weren't that my like my my practice interview was very much not that different than these folks at 10 weeks. Like I made the same mistakes about, you know, showing confidence or those types of things. The mistakes I didn't do were the ones from experience of me knowing, okay, I have no idea what you mean by a balanced binary search tree. Can you describe that to me? Um, Now I know what it means, But but there's a lot of things like that that are yeah, it's like how do you teach that? That's it's very much the folks who already had business experience that's exactly, knew how to do that.
0: That's the problem with all these things, though. It's like standardized testing in school. <laughs> it's not actually proving that kids are intelligent, that they know what they're doing, that they're going to do any good at anything. It's just proving that they can pass the test.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah, and especially for things like that, it's like those are absolutely useless on an individual basis. Those yeah. are totally statistical. Like anyway, but uh, but we're taking we'll something that. that is
0: useless on an individual basis, and then we're applying mm-hmm. it to job interviews, which is an individual basis, and saying exactly, well, these people should be I, and the people who can have gone through training like what you just did with your students, because mm-hmm. that's the only way they're going to pass these things, and it's not actually proving in any way whatsoever that they're going to be
1: able to develop software any better than anybody else. Absolutely not. Though I don't know if they follow. If they really dig into the interviewer, they they might uh, the interviewer might discover some new skills like uh, confidence and the ability to problem solve the the correct way. Um, so it might work out. It's hard telling. Like interviews are so hit and miss. Cause I mean, like I remember the first time I got to do an interview. I'm I was filling in for you, if I remember correctly. <laughs> that sounds about right. And all I had was a script that I showed somebody. And you know, like hey, tell me what this script does. And like. I was not qualified to give this interview in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. My my expectations were totally wrong on what to expect from an interviewee. Like, this is a skill. You have to learn how to be a good interviewer. And if you just grab your random software dev and throw them at it, who knows what, like, they're going to use as their gatekeeping, what what their tests are going to be or what they're looking for. So, Yeah, I, I probably wasn't. qualified to give that interview when you were the
0: guy filling in for me so that tells you something about the people who are likely to be interviewing you as a new
1: developer i to be fair yeah we were both kids at that point basically
0: i have run into people who are really really good at interviewing and they knew exactly where i was and they asked the right questions Mm -hmm. to get the information they needed out of me but that is by far the exception so uh, i as a new developer absolutely learning these things and practicing whiteboard testing and mm-hmm. learning how to ask the right questions of your interviewers because as we've said before you are interviewing them as much as they're interviewing
1: you if not more so learning yeah. how to do that is critical i i liked uh, i kept trying to bring it back to imagine they're your client because that's more or less the same mindset the same types of questions your clients when you you work as You know, even as a developer, your client will be, you know, stakeholders, quote unquote, stakeholders or managers or customers. Or if you're freelancing, they'll be your own clients, but they will request the silliest stuff. Like you will have no idea what they're actually (laughs) requesting because they will be I need it to be magic. And you're like, great. So what's that mean? And like you have to dig into these things and break it down. And that's that's kind of the mindset you have to be in. But. This kind of leaps back to where we started on this conversation about fear. You can't do that if you're scared. You can't do that if you're anxious in an interview situation. You can't do that as a developer when you're scared. And so a lot I spent a lot of time in class trying to lower fear. That was kind of my my main thing was there is too much anxiety in this building uh, for for folks who are putting in fifty hours a week and still scared they're not gonna pass. Let's let's bring that down. Like you can learn to program, it's going to be great. And you will do better if you're not terrified of it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's something that we keep coming back to on the podcast because it is such a big problem. Now, that said, you've just spent the past 10 weeks or so teaching a bunch of new developers. Do -hmm. you feel more encouraged or less after doing so?
1: (laughs) Well, it was... One of the interesting things was to kind of realize exactly how unskilled I am as a teacher. So, like... I was an all right instructor. I I feel like I did pretty good. I got some really great reviews from my students, but it was, to me, all I could notice was, oh, I wish I knew how to do that better. I wish I knew how to bring that out, how to ask questions of them better. I worked with the instructors I worked with were amazing, like just some of the best teachers I've ever encountered, which is kind of fascinating for a random boot camp, Um, but they were they were superb. I watched a, a video of the other Java instructor and she would ask questions of the class and software would emerge from their answers. Like she would just write whatever they told him to, or told her to write and it was it was amazing and I have no idea how <laughs> she did it. And so like one of the things I learned after 10 weeks was that I can I can do that, but it takes practice to be a good teacher and it is very much a challenge uh, to draw folks into the correct directions, to get them thinking along the lines of what you want to and to not get stuck basically. So yeah, the the in general encouragement of when they're done, they definitely could learn to program. Like everybody in 10 weeks could code something. Um, the part that I found probably the most frustrating as an instructor was trying to get folks to that I don't even know how to inscribe it to non-programmers, but that that moment when all of it clicks and you you realize you can totally code and it's just time yeah. after that. Like when you the loops start to make sense and like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. And you can and you can recognize that in a developer because they start saying, Oh yeah, I can totally do that, and then drastically underestimate how much time it really will take them. <laughs> and so that was the stage I couldn't quite figure out how to walk somebody to. Like all the students had to figure it out themselves what they generally did and so that was that is totally encouraging like that is a it's enough time to code like you can become a programmer you could probably become a programmer in 10 weeks but it will take you more time after that to become an employable programmer yeah um but it is encouraging it was not overall it was a pretty great experience there you go if any of
0: (laughs) kel's students are listening you did good
1: y'all did great (laughs) they gave me a book at the end i like the, I like wrote little notes on it it's really sweet <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the have we mentioned what school this was we've made it through like the entire episode and i feel like we i should actually mention that it, I, I, I feel like i should mention that i was teaching at code fellows so yeah i was teaching at code fellows here in seattle um which is a little odd since we just randomly ended up uh interviewing the flat iron folks the other day so that's odd uh (laughs) kind of a competitor but yeah i was just there for for one class teaching java it was kind of a nice uh nice change of pace to like i said at the beginning to practice these things that i that we've been talking about so much about fear and the motivation and trying to see how that works in real environments and really pushing those as strategies for both teaching and you know growing up as developers it was a very important thing
0: (laughs) well that's the thing is we build a lot of software and we do the job, we lead teams, we do a lot of these things, but sometimes you can do that every day, day in and day out, but you miss some of those core fundamental skills Mm -hmm. to actually be able to do that. And teaching is a huge chunk of leading a team, whether it's new developers or experienced developers, there's a lot of teaching involved. And I certainly, I would say that I am not as prepared as I would like to be to teach developers (laughs) when they come in. And that, makes me less efficient at it so taking the time to learn new skills that aren't necessarily directly related to how to code actually makes you a better software developer mm-hmm. it makes you a better team member it makes you a better employee or founder or whatever it is you're doing and it's a worthwhile investment that a lot of people kind of miss out on because they just get on with their job they learn more tech stuff they learn more tech stuff they learn more mm-hmm. tech stuff new framework new framework new <laughs> framework Ooh, new language new framework new framework yeah, and they miss things like this, and that's really what the podcast has always been about: is these other skills. Is not, and that's why we're mostly non-technical because we don't teach you how to do bubble sorts and things like that. That Kellen has been teaching out of people how to do. We I mostly teach forgot you, some of the sorts. Yeah, <laughs> we teach you or talk about at least those other skills, those other things that make you a better developer that aren't necessarily just code.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's. Teaching specifically is a a great thing to do, especially for something that you don't understand that well, because to teach a subject, you have to understand it in full. Like you can't you can't get away with just enough information about a bubble sort and then be able to teach it to somebody else. You actually have to understand it, like how it all glues together, why it's happening that way, why this was clever. How do you got there? You have to be able to explain it to a group of folks who all will have different questions about whatever it is that you're trying to show them. And you have to be at least somewhat prepared to answer these questions. And so it's a great way to learn. You hear it all the time that you learn by teaching and it's, it's kind of like a forced learning of, oh no, how will I be able to explain this? I don't know. I don't even know how to describe why I know why this works. And by the time you're done, you have a very like succinct version of your own learning. And you have a more fuller idea and a fuller concept that that you can explain to other people, which is a very important thing to be able to do. So Yeah, absolutely. I I don't
0: know how often people ask me, how do you do this? And my answer when I was younger used to be, just move her over. I'll do it for you. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I've gotten better at that. I will teach them. But... (laughs) I certainly know that the way I'm explaining it doesn't sink in the first time. It quite mm-hmm. often doesn't sink in the second time or the third time or the fourth time. And, and sometimes that's, that's normal. But I suspect if I were getting better at identifying which parts they were struggling with and how I could better explain that to them, it would go a lot smoother. People would pick it up a lot quicker.
1: Exactly. That's exactly the teaching skill. So the the difference between the the learning, the abstract, the theory, and the, the practice is that of, I know what it is and I sort of know how to describe it, but it takes me five tries instead of one. It takes me, you know, three iterations of this over multiple weeks to get that concept in a way that everyone understands when someone else might've been able to do it in a day. And that's the, that's the part that takes practice. That's the teaching skill, um, which I am, I very much admire after (laughs) (laughs) i always
0: think about it like any other skill particularly things like sporting skills where you have Mm -hmm. muscle memories and things like that you have the same when you're coding or any other knowledge based skill i was telling my eldest son the other day i was biking down a mud trail and having a little bit of fun going a little bit too fast and it was a little bit muddier than i thought it was and i went completely sideways and i pulled it out and didn't kill myself says well how'd you do that Uh, I just did. (laughs) And it was one of those moments I thought, you know, and I run into this when people ask me programming questions all the time. How do you do that? Um, and I have to stop and I have to think about, okay, Mm -hmm. what steps do I take? Because it's, it doesn't naturally come to me. I just naturally, I just, I do it. But Mm -hmm. taking a step back and thinking, well, how do I do that is difficult because it's not something I do every day. So
1: and then, yeah. Then once you figure out how, the next step is describing it to them in a way that they'll understand it in the same route, and iterating on that over and over and over again until learning happens.
0: Yeah, because certainly when I told him, you know, you turn the wheel toward
1: where your back wheel is going, and he looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> what? It's kind of interesting though. Like you talk about that muscle memory. That I remember as a kid, I I hit like a snowbank and my car spun out and. <laughs> I totally reacted like I did by playing video games and completely corrected instantly. It was a little strange. I had this moment of, wow, I actually learned something from the silly racing game. Yeah. (laughs) Probably not the best thing you're supposed to learn, but it, you know, muscle memory, it's, it works, Practice makes perfect. All right. So now that you've done this, Mm. would you teach again? Quite possibly. I did not like the level of anxiety at that school i did not which i imagine is probably pretty normal for boot camps yeah. they're not cheap there is definitely a level of proficiency expected at the end because they act as not just a not just a teaching school but a a place that recommends you and so they have like their own they have their own gatekeeping basically though it's yeah. not quite that way but they have their own expectations of You know, these are the folks we recommend and to get into that, there's still that level of anxiety and all of that. So I don't know that I would teach in that scenario anymore. Um, You know, taking on your students, your students' stress and bringing it onto yourself is a lot of a lot of stress uh, and a lot of effort. Um, I don't know if I'd want to continue doing that, but actually teaching in general absolutely i love teaching i mean that's basically why we're doing the podcast right because we want to describe the things that we have learned over time and we want we want to share those things which without the stress I of guess,
0: making sure you get a job <laughs> and you can feed your family
1: exactly exactly and so i definitely would teach again um, i might even teach there again uh, <laughs> though probably not for another 10 week course those were that was a lot of stress
0: yeah uh, well <laughs> And to be fair, it's not, they aren't being hard on people because they want to be hard on people. They're being hard mm-hmm. because they have to prepare you to get ready for a job. They want you to be able to feed your family.
1: <laughs> exactly. And my personal, I, I do want more schools to iterate on making things less scary, to iterate on making things less stressful. If your students are anxious, that is a thing that you should try to make better. Like, it might not be possible. Like, that's that's kind of just an artifact of the school and the money and the, the, yeah. the world we live in. But if you can make it better try to like iterate on that make it like you know you iterate on your curriculum to to put more content to teach people faster also try to iterate on lowering that anxiety lowering the fear what works better how can you motivate them better you know do the same thing try to make those things better as well and you will likely find that your uh the group of people who can pass will grow <laughs> yeah it won't just be the people that have been that can handle the high stress environments, it'll be everybody. And so, all
0: right, well, I will put some transcripts up at gettingappsdone.com. Please be sure to check out my website at joshuagram.info and Cal's website at pifner.com, where I'm sure you'll probably have some blog posts about teaching and boot camps yes. and learning pretty soon. Um, Working on them right today. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, If you have been to a boot camp or you're in a boot camp or you're at university or you're in any way learning how to develop software on your own, reading books, doing... uh, I've been talking about uh, VHS tapes recently because (laughs) somehow I managed to speak to a lot of people recently who are doing remote learning. And my first remote learning experience was uh, quite a while ago. I signed up for an online course where they sent me a giant box full of VHS tapes.
1: What year is this? <laughs>
0: the online portion of it was, I could email questions to the
1: teacher, and they would email back. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's not that different than the modern era, it just requires more physical media. Yeah, well, there's some more <laughs> spoilers Magnus. on
0: that uh, next week because we are talking with Capella University, who is a largely, I think, almost entirely remote university, mm. if not entirely remote. Uh, and they we do discuss some of that, and uh, you'll hear about my VHS tapes again because we did talk about <laughs> that. That should be out next week, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, in the meantime, Thanks for listening and be sure to check out our new Slack channel. Uh, That's where I was headed with all this. If you're on your learning journey, uh, we have quite a few people in the Slack channel who are also doing the same Mm -hmm. thing. And uh, it seems to be going really well. People are learning a lot from each other as well as being able to chat with us and learn more things that we haven't mentioned on the podcast.
1: All right.